Ladies and gentlemen, mesdames et messieurs, damen und herren, from what was once an inarticulate mass of lifeless tissues, may I now present a cultured, sophisticated man about town. Hit it! If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Dressed up like a million dollar trooper. Trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. It's time once again to do a uh, long-awaited, much-anticipated movie deep dive. So with me, as always for these, is actor, comedian, Mike Pusateri. Mike, how are you? Mm. Should I just do that the whole podcast? Yeah, that would be great. Okay. <laughs> I'm good. Good to uh, good to be home here in Chicago, where, where the weather is as bad as the baseball team. <laughs> so it's great. Well, the good news is the weather gets better. Yeah, yeah. On occasion, so the yeah. baseball team no, marginally. Better. Yeah. So, so there um, you go. As always, you can um, find this podcast and the Pointless Exercise newsletter at pointlessexercise.com, and Mike. How can people keep up with all of your exciting uh, things? Follow me on the Twitters at, uh, at, at Mike Pusateri and on Insta at I am Mike Pusateri. All right. So uh, we just looked it up. We hadn't done a movie deep dive since last July. We made it almost a year, even though we kept promising people. We, were, we told people in July, hey, the next one will be Young Frankenstein. <laughs> we were right. We just didn't promise when. It was going to happen because we, we got also, so wrapped up with that exciting Bears season. Also, for the record, we have not at any point deemed any of this a rebuild, so we don't want. <laughs> That's right. We don't want anybody to. We're, to, to we were fall down that hole. We're yes. retooling the movie uh, deep dive. Um, right. So. Building on the fly. Um. Yeah. So but this, here we are. This we is are. the last one, right? Of our. For original. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so for people who don't know, or those of you who don't care, you're going to hear it anyway. Um, right. Both of us compiled lists of movies that we wanted to do these movie deep dives on. And the original set of 10, I think? 9, 10? Something like that. Well, there was a bonus. We threw in Draft Day, which was not on either one of our lists. We did that <laughs> but it with, was the, on. with Dave Kaplan. <laughs> right. Um. And so we took those were the ones that were on both of our lists. So now we're going into uncharted waters after this. We mm-hmm. will start picking movies that we didn't 
That doesn't mean we don't both like we don't like the movies, but we didn't put them on our list. So, but after this, we will arm wrestle, and the loser will pick the next movie. Wait, that doesn't none of that sounds right. No, but we'll see. But for now, we're not worried about that. We're going to uh, focus instead on the Mel Brooks classic, Young Frankenstein. Uh, yes. You really are going to do that the whole time. It's good. I might, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Young Frankenstein is was filmed in 1974. And the, uh, the story goes that um, when... Oh, it's good. I'm glad I did all my research on this. I'm sure you know this. Uh, Gene Wilder was not originally um, the Waco kid in Blazing Saddles. They mm-hmm. had somebody else who was a little too drinky, <laughs> and they had to. Mel had to call Gene and say, "Hey, how'd you like to do Blazing Saddles?" And apparently, Gene said, "I'll do it, but you have to promise that you're going to make the movie that I'm uh, the, the movie that I have the idea for next." And Mel was like, "Fine, we'll do it." Right, right. The idea for that was this. Now, they wrote it together. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can get it, we'll get it all, kind of all the minutiae here, or the, the trivia at the end of it. But uh, one of my favorite things was Gene made Mel promise not to be in the movie. Right, because Mel always broke the fourth wall. Yes. Yes. But Mel is in the movie. Yes, he is. Several times. Yes. And, uh, he is the werewolf. <laughs> He's the werewolf. He is also the voice, which I didn't know. He, um, early in the movie, when uh, when uh, Frederick uh, Frankenstein, Frederick, yeah, Frederick is looking out over the lab, and you hear dialogue from what, what I always assumed was just a previous Frankenstein movie. Smell. Just think, a dead brain, ready to live again in a new body. Look. No blood, no decomposition, just a few sutures. Throw the main switch. Yeah, uh, Fantastic. Yes. Yep. And That's also uh, in the famous Gene Hackman scene, um, they had to go back and reshoot some of the soup pouring. <laughs> and so some of the soup pouring, the hand is melt. Not they weren't going to bring Gene back just to have him dump some more soup uh, <laughs> Peter Boyle. on Peter Boyle's lap right. uh, and hands uh, just for that. So Mel stood in and did that. So yeah, he does pop up from, from time to time, which you would assume. I mean, he's he's Mel. Yeah, and I always find it that odd that the, that, that was the reason that, that Gene didn't want him in there, you know, because Mel always breaks the fourth wall. Meanwhile, Marty Feldman's yeah. breaking the fourth wall every other second. <laughs> Gene Wilder's breaking it. <laughs> Peter Boyle's breaking. Everybody's breaking the fourth wall in this movie. But we can't have Mel. The other thing that's interesting is that they actually, they never worked together again, Gene and Mel. No. They did the producers, Blazing Saddles, and Young Frankenstein. And um, Mel would give Gene directing tips, but this is uh, is the last time they worked. That is good. That's a good bit of trivia. I did did not. See, there you go. Notice that. Um... So the uh, the movie was shot in black and white, which caused it to have to change studios at one point. Mm-hmm. 
because uh, the first studio uh, said no. And there was even there's Columbia, even, yeah, even a note been, yeah. in here that um, was it Columbia or Fox is the one who actually finally made Fox it. Fox is who did, yeah. Columbia wanted it to be in in color, and uh, and then and Mel went to Fox because Fox agreed to do it in black and white. So one of them, and I think it might have been Fox, was actually though. Uh, going to um maybe it's fine one of them was going to make him film it black and white on color film yes. and he's like no 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 i mean basically right. we're going to film it in color and then make it black and white it's right and he's so like fake ah. him out he's like yeah. ah, you're gonna do yeah. it and one of them said the reason they had to do that was because uh there were new movie theaters in like peru and they were going to just show it in color down there because it would be a huge hit because people, they were looking for color movies in mm-hmm, Peru. Mm-hmm. And he was not falling for that bullshit. No, he's like, I'm not falling for the banana and the tailpipe here. So, so, yeah. he, so he didn't do that. Right. right. Um, so uh, I was telling you right before we started that this this happens to me on these movies that I first saw as a kid um, and then I've watched many times later. I realized that oftentimes the first scene of the movie is a surprise to me. <laughs> because it's one of those where oh it's on I'm going to watch it and you just watch it from whatever part you f- see forward right right but here's a weird thing I remember now it starts with um, there's this long shot um, you swing around you can't really tell what it is at first and you realize it's a coffin and then he goes above it and it says Varen Bon Frankenstein on it and then it opens up and then there's the gag where the corpse is holding onto this box and these hands reach in to grab it, and they pull it away, and then the corpse pulls it back to the chest twice before they finally get out. That I remembered. What I didn't remember then is the next scene, you see the guy with the box in the back of a medical school classroom. Right, 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 right. And I do remember part of it, because there's the one the, the one pain-in-the-ass student who's asking very accusatory questions. I remembered him, but there were, I realized at the beginning, like when Gene is, ex- is explaining the medulla oblongata and the spinal cord, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I don't remember any of this, so it was yeah. clearly one of those where, like I, I've probably jumped in on like minute five of this movie a dozen times in my life. Now, did you remember where he, you know, Mr. Hilltop, where he, you know, he knees him in the nuts and and yes. all that? Okay, that that you did remember. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, because it's <laughs> about the time. Uh, I remember the the snot nosed student asking the very pointed right. questions. Yeah. Um, Are there any questions before we proceed? I have one question, Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. I beg your pardon? My name, it's pronounced Frankenstein. But aren't you the grandson of the famous Dr. Victor Frankenstein who went into graveyards, dug up freshly buried corpses and transformed dead components into- Yes, yes, yes. We all know what he did. But I'd rather be remembered for my own small contributions to science and not because of my accidental relationship to a famous cuckoo. (laughs) This movie is is so delightful just because, like, every every five seconds, there's something that is amusing. Something will make you chuckle. Something will make you smile. It's just every... if, If you watch this movie... Every five seconds, there's just there's something that is just delightful, and and which is what makes it one of my favorites of Mel's. So I read that the the original cut is significantly longer, and apparently bad. Yeah, 
Yeah, and to talk about some scenes, some other musical scenes they shot and the <laughs> original songs they wrote, which I'm sure went in the, you know, they did do a musical of this. I'm sure they, Mel's like, oh, I got it! And he's pulling out old stuff. Right. And he said him and Gene watched it and went, oh, no, this is terrible. We're going to have to cut it. And they did significant cuts to it, and that's when they realized, no, there was a, there was a very funny movie in there. Yeah. It was just not. Uh, they just had to carve it out. Right, and they did. It, because they had to Frankenstein it, you might say. You're right, the movie's only about 104, or 100. It's about an hour and 45 minutes. But it's a, I mean, it's basically just a joke machine. I mean, it's not like a Zucker Brothers movie. No. But there's a lot of, it's, there's a lot of jokes. It's they don't, right they, they're not wasting any time getting from joke to joke. Which is Nothing. Weird. And even if there's not an actual joke, that's it's something, there's something funny, there's something amusing, there's something entertaining. It's every five seconds, it's crazy. Especially considering that for the most part, I mean, there's, you know, there are crowd scenes and there's other people, I and mean, Kenneth Mars has to come in to speak uh, undecipherable German from time to time. <laughs> yeah. But it's pretty much just like it's five people for the yeah. whole time. That's all mm-hmm. you, that's all you got. And that's all you need. Right. And one right. of them isn't even alive at the beginning. of it. <laughs> he's, he's not. Yeah. One of them is a mute. Yeah. So anyway, so he's, he's giving that lecture and uh, then he gets the snot nosed little student. And, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> there's also just such good use of like weird, and Gene does a great job of delivering some of these lines. But after he talks about his, the student asks him about his grandfather. Uh, first, of the whole thing is a reference to Darwin regenerating um, uh, vermicelli. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, the the Darwin is actually like Charles Darwin's dad. It's not even Charles. But I like the vermicelli. Do you mean the the worm or the pasta? <laughs> But uh, yeah, Frederick yeah, it, fi- finally gets mad and he goes, "We all know what he did. I'd rather be remembered for my modest contributions to science and not to an accidental relationship to a cuckoo." <laughs> it's stuff like cuckoo. There's other words that they just throw out that are, you know. By the way, aren't aren't all the grandfather relationships accidental? It's true. You don't yeah. have to plan that. Yeah, and. Um... There's just, just, you know, there's just so many small things. When Mr. Hilltop is hop, you know, I go, nice. He asks him to hop. Nice hopping. (laughs) Then he knees him in the nuts. He gives him an extra dollar. Well, the best part of the the Mr. Hilltop thing is they do the whole thing as though Gene is a magician and Dr. Hilltop is a volunteer (laughs) out of the audience. Mr. Hilltop here, with whom I have never worked nor given any prior instructions to, has graciously offered his services for this afternoon's demonstration. Mr. Hilltop, would you hop up on your feet and stand beside this table? Nice hopping. <laughs> right. And the car, students all car. clap just like they're <laughs> just like they're at a at a magic show. Right. Mr. Hilltop, would you raise your left knee, please? You have just witnessed a voluntary nerve impulse. It begins as a stimulus from the cerebral cortex, passes through the brainstem and to the particular muscles involved. Mr. Hilltop, you may lower your knee. Reflex movements are those which are made independently of the will but are carried out along pathways which pass between the peripheral nervous system and the central nervous system. 
You filthy, rotten, yellow son of a bitch! <gasps> we are not aware of these impulses. Neither do we intend them to carry out our contraction of muscles. Yet, as you can see, they work by themselves. But what if we block the nerve impulse by simply applying local pressure, which can be done with any ordinary metal clamp just at the swelling on the posterior nerve roots for, oh, say, five or six seconds. Why, you mother-grabbing bastard! As you can see, all communication is shut off. <laughs> In spite of our mechanical magnificence, if it were not for this continuous stream of motor impulses, we would collapse like a bunch of broccoli. Oh, God. In conclusion, it should be noted, give him an extra dollar. An extra dollar, yes, sir. That any more than common injury to the nerve root is always serious. Because once a nerve fiber is severed, there is no way in heaven or on earth to regenerate life back into it. And then he puts a uh, he puts a clamp on his neck. I suppose I don't know. It's supposed to clamp down his brainstem or something. And Mister Hilltop goes into a little bit of a trance. Yeah. Doesn't react. And of course, Gene leaves it on just a little bit too long. Just a little bit. And Mister Hilltop is about to pass out. And he goes. In conclusion, it should be noted. Oh, give him an extra dollar. <laughs> Um, yeah so then the kiss ass student is asking more pointed questions actually this is when we get to the vermicelli and uh so uh gene is now holding a well he's he's sitting down he says you are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind you have a better chance of reanimating this scalpel my (laughs) grandfather's work was doo-doo and then as as he yells doo-doo he's so emphatic he Makes he makes a fist and he shoves the scalpel into his thigh. Right. It shows no no pain, no reaction whatsoever. So the class clears out, and the mysterious man with the box comes up to him and says he's presenting him his grandfather's will. So is that how they did it back in the day? They would I guess. you took yeah, the will and the, they put it in a box and buried box. you with it. <laughs> it took a little time for the uh, for the the. Uh, you know, for the family to find out what what goodies they would get, but yeah. There's a um... so anyway, so he gets the will, and now he's gonna he's off to Transylvania, mm-hmm. and he goes to the train station where his fiance Elizabeth, played by Madeline Kahn, is the great there. Madeline Kahn. Yes. So one of the things I learned in this is that the originally Madeline Kahn was going to play Inga. Oh, and Cindy Williams, really of Laverne and Shirley, yes, had been cast to play Elizabeth. Ooh, what happened? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Laverne and Shirley, uh, Gary Marshall made him film a few more episodes. I don't know, but they that was a conflict. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would have been the same time probably. And then Madeline decided she would rather be Elizabeth. Okay. And Terry Garr had auditioned, um, had auditioned to be Elizabeth. And Mel basically said, if you can come back tomorrow with a German accent, I may have a role for you. And she immediately started doing the German accent that she does in the thing. And he hired her. 
he just gave her the role on the spot and she was asked where she learned it and she said um she was just imitating Cher's hairdresser from <laughs> from a guest spot she had done on the Sunny and Cher show nice yeah so that's who that's, that's a... who Inga is inspired by is Cher's hairdresser that's awesome yes and Terry Gar is so perfect in this yes. role um yeah, so uh, <laughs> they're saying goodbye at the train station. and Yeah, it's a very romantic scene. He goes to kiss her. Oh, my sweet darling. Oh, my dearest love. I'll count the hours that you're away. Oh, darling, so will I. Not on the lips. What? I'm going to that party at Nana and Nikki's later. I don't want to smear my lipstick. Oh. You understand. Of course. All aboard! Oh, dear. Well... I guess this is it. Freddie, darling. Well, how can I say in a few minutes what it's taken me a lifetime to understand? Won't you try? All right. You've got it, mister. I'm yours, all of me. What else can I say? My sweet love. The hair, the hair. Just been said. Sorry, sorry. I hope you like old-fashioned weddings. I prefer old-fashioned wedding nights. You're incorrigible. Does that mean... You love me? You bet your boots it does. Oh, my only love. Taffeta, darling. Taffeta, sweetheart? No, the dress is taffeta. It wrinkles so easily. Oh. All aboard! There's that horrid man again. Well, hurry now, before I make a fool of myself. Ah, the nails! Sorry. Goodbye, darling. Goodbye, Freddie. <laughs> so they end up touching elbows. Who yes. knew that in the uh, pandemic? Right. That's how people would shake hands. That's how that came. That's exactly. That's what we. That's how we learned that for the last two years. Elbow touching. Yeah, so he's on the train to New York, and there's a old couple in the background having a very loud conversation. Yep. And then. You see a little time jump, and now he's clearly on the train in Europe. So he's on his way to Transylvania. Same couple, dressed up as Germans, having yep. what's clearly the same conversation in Germany. Same argument. Perfect. Same conductor. The whole thing. Harry, he was at it again. So what do you want me to do about it? Every day. Let him. Let him. New York next. Everybody out for New York. Hans, er macht es schon wieder. Na, was soll ich denn da machen? Aber jeden Tag. Du lass ihn, lass ihn. Transylvania Nächste. Jeder aussteigen für Transylvania. Transylvania Nächste. Jeder aussteigen für Transylvania. It's fantastic. Then they pull into the Transylvania station. And he says, there's a little... What was he, a newsboy? What would he be, like a paper boy? Or what he, or shine, well, he's just... Well, I guess he's a shoeshine kid. This is a... Pardon me, boy. Is this the Transylvania station? Yeah, yeah. Track 29. Oh, can I give you a shine? Uh, no thanks. Chattanooga <laughs> Choo evidently big in 1974. Yep. Um... 
So I was at the station and there's a lot of fog and you hear this eerie sound and kind of a dragging. And he's a little concerned as to what it is. Dr. Frankenstein. Turns out it's Marty Feldman, mm-hmm. and he introduces himself. He calls him uh, Doctor Frankenstein. Frankenstein, you're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Do you also say Frodrick? No, Frederick. Well, why isn't it Frodrick Frankenstein? It isn't. It's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. <laughs> Igor. <laughs> Which is perfect. He starts fucking with him the second he meets him. <laughs> and that, that's basically their relationship throughout the entire movie. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? Uh, you were sent by Herr Falkstein, weren't you? Yes. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. <laughs> Oh, nice. Of course, the rates have gone up. Of course. Of course. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh, sorry. I, uh, you know, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm a rather brilliant surgeon. Perhaps I could help you with that hump. What hump? What? (laughs) Uh, Never mind. Then they do the uh, one of the world's oldest jokes, where Igor is going to lead him to the cart. Let's go. Allow me, master. Oh, thanks very much. Walk this way. This way. Walk this way. <laughs> Shuffling and dragging his foot. And... Right. He, he gives him his cane. Too. <laughs> so he has to take Igor's cane down the stairs. <laughs> so apparently that wasn't in the script. Marty just did it, thinking it was nice. funny, but did not expect... He was just fucking with them. He didn't expect it to be in the movie. And in fact, argued that it was too dumb to leave in the movie. Well, not Marty only argued not... it? Yes. He was like, no, no, I'm just jacking around. We're not really going to put that in the movie. And they're like, no, everybody laughed. It was funny. And um, uh, Mel was so taken that he uses it in two other movies. He rips off his own movie's joke twice. Okay. It apparently is in Spaceballs and in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Really? There's some version of the Walk This Way joke. And then in a great story so ridiculous, I hope it's true. Apparently, Aerosmith (laughs) took a break one night while writing an album and they, I just, can you imagine them? I just picturing them all sitting around watching Young Frankenstein, <laughs> right? And apparently that is what uh, motivated Steven Tyler to write the song "Walk This Way." If that's not true, it should it just better. Let's just, well, it better be true. We'll assume it's true because that's a fantastic story. So they come up to the transportation, and it's a hay wagon <laughs> being. <laughs> Towed by a mule. 
you'll be more comfortable in the rear. Oh. <laughs> Where else are you going to sit? Yeah. He throws the bags in and... Oof! Oof! What was that? Oh, that'll be Inga. Herr Falkstein thought you might need a laboratory assistant temporarily. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> She's literally just rolling. Oh. Hello. Would you like to have a roll in the hay? It's fun. Roll, roll, roll in the hay. Roll, roll, roll. Would you like a roll in the hay? <laughs> Would you like to uh, take a roll in the hay? Roll, it's very roll, fun. Roll, roll, roll in the hay. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of very mild sexual in, in, in the innuendo like that throughout the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then as the writing they hear. Uh, uh, sometimes I'm afraid of the lightning. It's just an atmospheric discharge. Oh. Nothing to be afraid of. Werewolf. Werewolf? There. What? Werewolf. There. Castle. Why are you talking that way? I thought you wanted to. No, I don't want to. Suit yourself. I'm easy. <laughs> Is that the first uh, time Marty just turns and looks, <laughs> looks yeah, directly at the camera? Or fourth wall. <laughs> right. Uh... So that was Mel as the werewolf. Pretty good. He does a pretty good ro- werewolf. Yeah. Gotta, gotta give him credit for that. Oh, yeah. He also plays a cat later in the later in the movie. The man has range. Yeah. He should have credited himself for all that at the end. Just for, at the beginning. Just for G. Yeah. Just put right. himself right before the title. Right. So there they get to they get to home, which is a big creepy castle on top of a mountain. And then when they get there, they see the door with these two huge iron hoops on it. Mm-hmm. What knockers! Oh, thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor. That's so silly. the movie's so silly like that, but that it's also really smart too. That's another f- cool thing about it. Ooh, thank you. So they knock on the door, and who do we meet? Yes. Out comes Frau Blucher. <laughs> Played by the outstanding Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman, as always, Cloris insisting on being the most beautifully made-up woman in a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Morris had no problem being made as hideous as possible. Right. Yes, and so her her name is said several times in that scene, and every time the horse is winning. In fact, at one point, they show the horses rearing up on their back legs while they're doing it. (laughs) So Mel planted his own urban myth about this, which was that the uh, word Blucher... Blucher in German meant glue. And that's why it was extra funny because it was a horse's. That was bullshit. Okay. Uh, the German word for glue is glue. 
<laughs> there you go. But uh, still very funny. They basically said that they just wanted the the name to be so uh, repugnant, the mention of it to be so repugnant that even the horses are offended. Would win. Yes. <laughs> and they do every single time. Actually, no, I think this is the first time Marty does it because after they have that scene and they start to head into the castle, he turns right to the camera and goes, Blooker! <laughs> I am Paul Blucher. Steady! Uh, how do you do? I am Dr. Frankenstein. This is my assistant, Inga. May I present Frau Blucher? I wonder what's got into them. Your rooms have been prepared, Herr Doctor. If you will follow me. Igor, would you bring the bags as soon as you're finished, please? Yes, master. After you, Frau Blucher. Blucher! <laughs> the horses go off in the background. Uh. Yeah, so now Frau is going to give them, uh, she's going to show them uh, around the castle. And yes, she grabs a candelabra. Mm-hmm. And she holds it the entire time, even urging them at a few points to watch their steps. At no point does she actually light the candles on the candelabra. No need to. No. She's just carrying around a <laughs> three unlit does. candles. <laughs> and she As says, one does stay close to the candles, the staircase can be treacherous. <laughs> They must have just been laughing their ass off shooting this movie. So they, uh, she shows them a painting of Victor Frankenstein. Who looks exactly like. Exactly like Gene. (laughs) Gene Wilder, his great-grandson. This is your room. It was your grandfather Victor's room. I see. Well, seem to be quite a few books. This was Victor's the Baron's Medical Library. And where is my grandfather's private library? I don't know what you mean, sir. Well, these books are all very general. Any doctor might have them in his study. This is the only library I know of, Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Well, we'll see. Good night. Would the doctor care for a brandy before retiring? No. Thank you. Some warm milk? Perhaps? No. Thank you very much. No thanks. Ovaltine. Nothing. Thank you. I'm a little tired. And I will say good night. Good night. Uh, she offers some brandy, warm milk perhaps, overdine. <laughs> Nothing, thank you. I'm a little tired. A then little I would say good night. She <laughs> leaves without, still with the unlit candles, and he sees her in the mirror, 
kissing the painting and saying good night to his grandfather. Yes, kissing it. But before before she leaves, he uh, he says, "This must be, this must be the library." But where is the private library? Because the books in this library are too general. They could be in mm-hmm. any library. And he's disgustingly pulling books off the shelves. <laughs> so then he's in bed, and he's having a nightmare. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm not a Frankenstein. I am not a Frankenstein. I'm a Frankenstein. Don't give me that. I don't believe in fate. And I won't say it. All right, you win. You win. I give. I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll say it. Destiny! Destiny! No escaping that for me! Destiny, destiny, no escaping us from me. Destiny, destiny, no escaping. Inga comes in and wakes him from his nightmare, and they hear music. They think it's coming from behind the bookcase. All right, so they go to the bookcase, and he looks around, and he's like, oh, there must be a trigger mechanism. He figures out right away that it's a fake, that it's a, you know, it's a... Right. It's, it's a, a hidden, it's a hidden passage. Hidden room, yes. It seems louder over here. Hand me that candle, will you? Put the candle back. All right. I think I have it figured out now. Take out the candle and I'll block the bookcase with my body. So she puts the candle back, swings back <laughs> around. Now he's on the other side, and he's like, "Okay, <laughs> take the candle, and I'll block the bookcase with my body." It was with a brilliant plan. Yeah, it's good. What could go wrong? <laughs> so she does, and he ends up getting smashed <laughs> between the wall and the bookcase. Yeah, and then I never noticed this before, but when the next thing he says is he's being crushed by it. No, he sounds he sounds funny. exactly like Bob Einstein. <laughs> Basically, every time Super Dave would get crushed by anything. Which happened yeah. in every Super Dave. This it was the exact same voice. It was the same voice. Yeah. He's like, now listen to me very carefully. Now listen to me very carefully. Don't put the candle back. With all of your might, shove against the other side of the bookcase. Is that? Perfectly clear. I think so. Good girl. Put the candle back. Oh, look, Doctor. A passageway. <laughs> Great little set piece. They don't do anything different, but the next time, for some reason, the uh, bookcase uh, f- stops halfway, and now they can freely walk down the passageway. <laughs> right. know, they watched it again. I'm like, how did they do? Nothing. He just puts yeah. it back, and it stops. Because they're like, all right, we're done with that. We ran out of jokes. Now it's time to walk down the hallway. Right. Whatever that music is, it's coming from down there. I'd better take a look. Oh, let me come with you, doctor, please. 
I don't want to stay up here alone. All right, then. Close your robe and follow me. Oh, Doctor. Sir Candle. Good thinking. Let's try this one. Stand back! So they're heading down a large spiral staircase, and they see a rat. Nothing to be frightened about, dear. Just a rat. A filthy, slimy rat. <laughs> they come to a door, and he tries to open it, and the handle breaks off in his hands. He pushes it open, and there it is. The secret laboratory of Victor von Frankenstein. And they used uh, as many props from the 1931 uh, original film. Yes. Uh, that they could. And that was, and they, evidently a lot of them were just laying around in like, in Hollywood and like, you know, garages or warehouses and places like this. Well, that according to my, to... my extensive research. Oh, yes. Yes. When he was, when Mel was preparing for the film, he discovered that Ken Strickfaden, who had actually made all the elaborate electrical machinery for the lab sequences in the Universal Frankenstein films, was still right. alive and living in yes. L.A. Yes. So Mel went over and found he had stored all of the stuff in his garage. So Mel rented the equipment and gave Strickfaden a screen credit. And uh, Strickfaden was very excited because he never got a screen credit for the Frankenstein movies. Oh, really? That's nice. So that's where they got all that cool shit. Yeah. Yeah, then Mar- uh, <coughs> Igor makes it a great uh, appearance. Yes, yes. The dumb waiter. Right. So they're looking they're they're looking around the lab and they see this rotted old skull and under his little <laughs> card it says 3 years dead. And then they move a little bit to the left. And there's this slightly less deteriorated skull that says two years dead. And then to the left, there's one that says six months dead. Still some flesh on it. And then to the left, oh, it's Igor with his head sticking through the bookcase. (laughs) (laughs) Igor, Frederick, how did you get here? Through the dumbwaiter. I heard the strangest music from the upstairs kitchen and I just followed it down. Call it a hunch. There must have been someone else down here, then. It would seem that way. And there's the only other door. Wait, master. It might be dangerous. Aren't there any lights in this place? Two nasty-looking switches over here, but I'm not going to be the first. Damn your eyes! Too late. So the other switch turns on the lights, and that's when you hear the you hear the the voice, which is meant just for us. It's like it's they're slowly panning the elaborate laboratory, and we're hearing lines from you know Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Son of Frank, whatever they based on four old Frankenstein movies, and that apparently is Mel doing at least some of the voices. So this is where it all happened. Just think, a dead brain, ready to live again in a new body. Look, no blood, no decomposition, just a few sutures. Throw the main switch. Yes, master. But, uh, Froderick looks at it and he's like, what a filthy mess. What a filthy mess. I don't know, a little paint, a few flowers, a couple of throw pillows... 
<laughs> but uh, no sign of who played the music. Uh, but then they see there's a light coming from behind the door. Mm-hmm. So they they sneak over there, and when they open the door, they see a lit candle, mm-hmm. a violin, and a, a freshly ex- extinguished cigar. Mm-hmm. And that's when they realize they are in the private medical library yes. of, of Victor von Frankenstein. And they see a book that they zoom in on that says, How I Did It! by Victor Frankenstein, uh, which uh, O.J. Simpson wrote the sequel many years later, uh, If I Did It. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> then Freddy is reading the book out loud as if it's a bedtime story. <laughs> and Igor and Inga are both falling asleep. Right. But that's when he yells, It could work! Now he's very excited. Very excited about this. Uh, then we go to breakfast. Inga and Frederick are having breakfast and Kipper? Kipper. <laughs> Kipper. And he's still reading the book. Right. And he starts reading it out loud. As the minuteness of the parts formed a great hindrance to my speed, I resolved, therefore, to make the creature of a gigantic stature. Of course. That would simplify everything. In other words, his veins... His feet, his hands, his organs would all have to be increased in size. Exactly. He would have an enormous Schwanstucker. That goes without saying. Oof. He's going to be very popular. <laughs> <laughs> Igor chiming in. So... Frederick's like, what we're looking at is a creature approximately seven feet in size with all of his limbs either congenitally or artificially proportionate in size. And uh, Igor, something like this, he's been sitting there writing or drawing, we don't know, and he turns, he flips his sketchbook around, and he's basically drawn Peter Boyle. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Frederick's like, oh, you've caught something there. Crude? Yes. Primitive? Yes. Perhaps even grotesque. But something mm. inexplicable tells me that this might be our man. And Igor mm. takes the sketch and he hangs it on this hook so they can look at it. And it's swinging back and forth. And then it cuts to uh, a body hanging from a gallows also swinging. Um, so then we see Igor and Frederick uh, watching uh, Grave Diggers. Grave Diggers, yeah. Yes, finishing up. And, bearing a cross into 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 Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. And then, uh, so then, uh, Igor and Frederick have to break into the cemetery to exhume the body. Yes. And we see them frantically digging the freshly dug grave. And then, this, <laughs> I always wondered how this happened. Then they somehow are directly under the casket. <laughs> As they both just push up and push the casket up out of the ground. Yeah. And uh, Frederick says... What a filthy job. Could be worse. How? Could be raining. <laughs> and then just then a downpour. <laughs> uh, what are the great little movie lines? <laughs> Could be worse. Could be raining. Uh. 
So they cart the body back to the castle, and for some reason, they take it right through the middle of the town. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? And, and there's a constable. <laughs> yeah, because they lose control of it coming down the hill. It falls off the cart, and the casket breaks, and one of the hands sticks up. Yeah. And Frederick is trying to shove the hand back in, and it ends up, it's, be- it's kind of be- in the crook of his arm. And the constable walks by and goes, Need a hand? Uh, no thanks. Have one. Thanks very much, all the same. Just a moment, sir. I know everyone in this neighborhood, but I've never seen your face before. Can you account for yourself? Yes, I am Dr. Frederick Frankenstein, newly arrived from America. Oh, yes, sir. I was told you were here. Well, I'm Constable Henry, sir. Pleased to meet you. How very nice to meet you, Constable. Why, you're chilled to the bone, sir. <laughs> a nice warm fire would be the thing for you. Yes, And yes. a little nip from the old bottle wouldn't be too bad either, would it, sir? <laughs> Let's take it. Yes. Well, if you have everything in hand, sir, I'll say good night. Thank you very much, Constable. At your service, sir. Always. And, uh, Frederick is just pretending the hand is his, but he can't move it. Igor, Igor is, is hiding there. behind the castle, and he can move it. So he's trying <laughs> yeah. to give. He's like, he's like stomping on the ground to give him a cue. Yeah. <laughs> the cop reaches out and grabs the hand, and he's like, "Why, you're chilled to the bone." <laughs> and Frederick takes the creature's hand in his, and he's yeah. rubbing them together like he's trying to warm up. <laughs> and then when the cop says he's gonna go, he's trying to signal to Igor to raise his hand. The cop has saluted him, and he's trying to get it to raise it so he gets saluted. <laughs> so they get back to the house and uh, Frederick is going on and on about how great the body is <clears throat> and that they need a brain and he asks Igor if he knows what to do and he looks up and he points at his hump with such a specimen for a body all we need now is an equally magnificent brain you know what to do I have a pretty good idea. Good man. Didn't you... Didn't you used to have that on the other side? What? Your, uh... Oh, never mind. No, yeah. <laughs> Igor, moving the hump. So like, do you have that name I gave you? And Igor has it written on his hand. H. Delbrook. H. Delbrook, yes. Hans Delbrook. That's the brain they're supposed to steal. <laughs> so the next shot is of the door to the brain depository... <laughs> on the door it says after 5 p.m. slip brains through slot in door. As most brain depositories do say. So the camera shifts to inside the depository, and we see the door, the little the the little brain drop <laughs> open up, and we see Igor looking in, and he's able to reach through it <clears throat> and unlock the door and open it. And as he opens the door, he, he's scared by a hand. Which is his. Right. <laughs> so he's a little on edge. But he heads over and he looks and he sees in a glass, in a little glass jar, there's a brain, and it says, Hans Delbruck, scientist and saint. So what, he, what better brain could you possibly choose? This is the brain you want. Right. So he carefully lifts the glass, he gets the brain, and he's walking across the 
brain depository and a bolt <laughs> of lightning lights up the room and he sees his reflection in a mirror and startles him and he drops the brain and it just splats on the floor. Whoops. So he just looks and he grabs the next one, which on it, the card says, do not use this brain abnormal. Right. Were they expecting a use of the brain that would be shoved into a dead body? What would they use the brain for? <laughs> but there is a warning sign not to use it. Uh, so now we see they're in the lab and we see the creature. And Inga's like, woof, he's hideous. Freddy goes, he's beautiful and beautiful. he's mine. And we hear some thunder and we and they shot Igor is, uh, is up on the roof of the castle flying a kite. <laughs> we see him up on the roof and Frederick yells out to him. Hurry now, we're fighting time and the elements. Are you ready? Are you sure this is how they did it? Yes, yes, it's all written down in the notes. Now tie off the kites and hurry down as fast as you can. What's the hurry? There's the possibility of electrocution. Do you understand? I say there's the possibility of electrocution. Do you understand? I understand. I understand. Why are you shouting? And as he finishes the sentence, he turns, and Igor is standing right next to him. What are you shouting for? <laughs> yeah, oh, did, did you did you tie off the kites? Of course. <laughs> so now he's got he's got Igor running the stuff. He's got to uh, he's got to check the meters. He's yep. got to release the safety valve. And Frederick is very excited to activate the brain of Hans Delbruck in yes. this body. And he says to Inga, "Well, dear, are you ready?" Yes, Doctor. Elevate me. Now? Right here? Yes, yes. Raise the platform. Oh, the platform. Oh, that. Yeah, yes. And then he gives this very dramatic reading. From that fateful day when stinking bits of slime first crawled from the sea and shouted to the cold stars... I am man. Our greatest dread has always been the knowledge of our own mortality. But tonight, we shall hurl the gauntlet of science into the frightful face of death itself. Tonight, we shall ascend into the heavens. We shall mock the earthquake. We shall command the thunders and penetrate into the very womb of impervious nature herself. When I give the word, throw the first switch. You've got it, master. Get ready. Get set. Go! Throw the second switch. Throw the third switch. Not 
the third switch. Throw it, I say! Throw it! And we see more lightning electricity running through the body. Fred tells him to turn everything off and bring him down. The body is smoking, but nothing appears to be happening. Frederick is pounding on his chest. He listens for a heartbeat, and he slumps, defeated. So defeated. But he's going to inspire Inga and Igor. Oh, Doctor, I'm sorry. No, no. Be of good cheer. If science teaches us anything, it teaches us to accept our failures as well as our successes with quiet dignity and grace. Quiet dignity and grace. Quiet dignity and grace. Great break of the fourth wall moment. Quiet dignity and grace. So now we're at, a, we're at a town meeting of whatever town the village hall. in Transylvania is. A buzz. The, the village is a buzz with yeah. the doings of uh, Dr. Frankenstein. You hear one of the voices. This one is different. I could tell that in five minutes. Like, he's a Frankenstein. They're all alike. Those scientists are all alike. They say they're working for us, but what they really want is to rule the world. Which, by the way, kind of sounds like today a little bit, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Kind of rings true. Yeah. But they ask Inspector Kemp to address <laughs> them. And he's got this very strange... There's all kinds of stuff going on with Inspector Kemp. Oh, yes. He, uh, he has an eye patch and a monocle on the same <laughs> eye. One can never be too careful. <laughs> he's got. He's kind of like Darth Vader, and that he apparently doesn't have some of his original parts are missing because he's, right, he's this, part robot. He's got iron this hands. weird thing with the one hand that's yeah. constantly. He's constantly like very abruptly twisting it, and you hear all these mechanical sounds. Yeah, <laughs> as he lights a cigar. <laughs> so he's he's addressing them, and they can only understand about a third of what he says. Royal. It's an ugly zinc. And once you get one started, there is little chance of stopping it. Short of bloodshed. I think before we go around killing people, we had better make them here. Of our evidence. And... We had better confirm the fact that young Frankenstein is indeed following in his grandfather's footsteps. What? 
following in his grandfather's woodstops. Woodstops, woodstops! What is in order? It's for me to pay a little visit on the good doctor. And to have a nice, quiet chat. Nice, quiet shit. This is actually it. <laughs> we will have a nice, quiet shit. Shit. <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, now we're back in the castle, and, the, and our, our three heroes are, are eating dinner. Yep. And Frederick's still depressed, but uh, still very mature. Inga yes. goes, you haven't touched your food. And he just takes his hands and he just smushes all the food. He goes, there, I've touched it. Happy? Like a, like a four-year-old. Reputation. Oh, doctor, you mustn't do this to yourself. You've got to stop thinking about it. Why, look, you haven't even touched your food. There. Now I've touched it. Happy? You know, I'll never forget my old dad when these things would happen to him. The things he'd say to me. What did he say? What the hell are you doing in the bathroom day and night? Why don't you get out of there and give someone else a chance? <laughs> it's a give someone else a chance that really brings that image to life. <laughs> oh, dad. Uh... So, Frederick says, maybe the poor, lifeless Hulk is better off dead. But they cut to the creature who is moving and groaning. Now back to the table. Where we have dessert. What is this? Schwarzwalder Kirschtort. Mmm! Oh, do you like it? I'm not partial to desserts myself, but this is excellent. Who are you talking to? you. You just made a yummy sound, so I thought you liked the dessert. I didn't make a yummy sound. I just asked you what it is. But you did. I just heard it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me? Well, now, look here. If it wasn't you, when it wasn't you... Now, do you know what Schwarzfolder Kirschtart is? Uh, no, I'm glad you looked it up. No. It is. is it? It's a real thing. Okay. It's basic. It's a tart, but it's basically black forest cake. It looked. It, it looked like a black forest cake. It looked very nice. It did look quite yummy. I could see why, why uh, Iger <laughs> would have given the impression that he really enjoyed this dessert. <laughs> so they get down to the lab, and that's when you hear the iconic. Alive! It's alive! It's alive! So then they come up with a great plan. It did. All their plans are fantastic. He's, uh, he's going to unhook the creature, but not until he's taken the precaution of making sure that Inga has the sedative ready. Is when the he sedative gives the ready? Sign, <laughs> he gives her the sign that she's going to give him the things. It's okay. So it's it all there. I'm going to set you free. Is the sedative ready? Yes, doctor. Mm. 
want you to sit up. Stand on your feet. You can do it. Now, walk. Oh, Doctor, I'm frightened. Don't worry. Good. And Fred is holding its hands, and then <laughs> the creature is getting more confident, and then it suddenly just freaks out. Yeah, well, because Igor decides to light a match well, to light right. a cigar. Right. Igor decides now's the perfect time to light the match while this monster <laughs> is learning how to walk. <laughs> he goes, what's the matter? Quick, give him the... And just as he does that, the creature has his hands around his neck so he can't talk. So he starts, he starts frantically trying to signal them. So Igor, oh, one word, three syllables. Quick, give him the... Watch, give him the watch! <gasps> Three syllables. First syllable sounds like head. Uh, sounds like head. Bed. Uh, said. 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 Second syllable. Little bird. Uh, this, that, so. Uh, said. Uh, said. Uh, dirty word. He said a dirty word. Oh, sounds like. Sedative. Oh, I love this. Oh, on the nosy. <laughs> so Inga sticks him in the ass with a sedative, and the creature passes out. And, right. Sedative? Did he go? Is that Igor? May, may I speak to you? <laughs> Just sit down. Please, please sit down. So he, Igor sits down on the ground. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, up here, up here. Oh, Frederick, are you all right? Yes. Would you excuse me for one minute, dear? Oh, of course, Doctor. Igor? <clears throat> May I speak to you for a moment? Of course. Sit down, won't you? Thank you. No, no, up here. Oh. Thank you. Now, that brain that you gave me, was it... Hans Delbrooks? No. Ah. Good. Uh, would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. 
Abby Normal. I'm almost sure that was the name. <laughs> Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long, 54 inch white gorilla? Is that what you're telling me? Wait, quick, get up. What? Squeeze to the boot, yes. That boy G loses his mind. He does become mad. You know, he, he didn't quite keep his word there. Yes. Nearly strangles Igor yes. to death. Aha! Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain to a <laughs> seven and a half foot long, 54 inch wide gorilla? Gorilla! Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> and he starts to strangle Igor. And Igor is waving, and Inga goes, three syllables, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Back to charades. <laughs> but then they hear the big knockers. That's the big knockers. It's Inspector Kent. I'm our friend. Frederick says, we just must act normal. So he goes up there, and him and the inspector are playing darts. So you see, like, Fred throws his three, and then they're talking, and uh, the inspector goes over, and he grabs them off the board, and while Fred is looking out the window, he just shoves them all in the bullseye, and then makes dart noises somehow with with his hand. Clearly cheating. (laughs) Frederick looks like, Nice grouping. <laughs> the questioning is starting to rattle Frederick. And we see him throwing a dart. One goes through the window. Another one goes, he throws one backwards. <laughs> and then one hits, he throws one in the air. Also, right. Mel Brooks. You uh, seem unusually upset by this discussion. Not in the least. So all Kent wants is for him to promise that he could tell the villagers he has no interest in carrying on his grandfather's work. Perfectly reasonable request. And they hear, mm-hmm. <laughs> The inspector thinks it's Frederick saying yes. Is that, did you just say, should I take that as a yes? <laughs> and then Gene goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's a nice touch. They show the inspector leaving, gets in his car, and the tires are flat because they have dart sticking out of <laughs> the them. Darts, yeah, see, that's what I mean. Like every five seconds or something like that, he drives away and there's a flat tire. That's a, that's 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 hilarious. So we see back into the house and Frau Blucher, Frau Blucher. Has seen, sees the creature mm-hmm. and she yells, "Victor, we have done it!" And she's trying to set the creature free. Yes. But Frederick and Inga and Igor, they come down and they catch her in the act. Frau Blucher! Stop! Don't come closer! What are you doing? I'm going to set him free! No! No, you mustn't! Yes! Are you insane? He'll kill you! No, he won't. Not this one. He is as gentle as a lamb! Stand back! Yes, the love of God, he has a rotten brain. It's not rotten. It's a good brain. It's rotten, I tell you, rotten. Ixnay on the Otten Ray. I'm not afraid. I know what he likes. So she starts playing the violin. And it soothes the creature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That music. Yes. It's in your blood. It's in the blood of all Frankensteins. It erases the soul when words are useless. Your grandfather used to play it to the creature he was making. And it was you all the time. Yes. You played that music in the middle of the night. Yes. To get us into the laboratory. Yes. That was your cigar smoldering in the ashtray. Yes. And it was you who left my grandfather's book out for me to find. Yes. So that I would. Yes. Then you and Victor were. Yes. Yes. Say it. idea that in the what would that the 1800s or 1700s yeah boyfriend and girlfriend <laughs> she's so proud of it where's my boyfriend so the creature's calm but mm-hmm. it backs up and it backs into some of the instruments and something sparks and catches fire so he freaks right. out and he runs and she yells you'll never catch him now he's free you hear me free and it breaks down the door and it runs away. And they don't chase it. This lumbering thing, they're he like, oh, we're screwed, it got away. Yeah, he's got like a seven-foot lead on him. It would not have been that. And he's not very fast. We've established that. They could have easily tackled And then they all put their hands to their mouth and they all, in the doorway, Gene and Inga and, and Marty Feldman, just put their hands to their mouth. They're, all, they're, they're distraught. And Gene is... Can't believe what he's done. He's wrestling with his, his conscious at this yep. moment. We've got to find him before he kills someone. What have I yes. done? Oh, God in heaven, what have I done? And now it's daytime, and we see a little girl dropping flower petals into a well. Right. And her father is in the house, boarding up the doors and the windows, because he's heard that there's a monster on the loose. It's kind of like the LB, the famous LBJ ad, a little bit, with the girl picking the flower. <laughs> I wonder if he was inspired by that. <laughs> Or we must die. Vote for President Johnson on November 3rd. The stakes are too high for you to stay home. <laughs> so he finishes up. He tells his wife he's glad she put Helga to bed. Hmm? And they realize that Helga is not in bed. No, she's the one out playing with the creature. But we see the creature, and he's got a flower petal. All right, she's got the end of the flower, <laughs> right. and he's dropping it into the well. She goes, now blow a kiss and say bye-bye. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she goes, oh, dear, there's nothing left. What shall we throw in now? <laughs> and, you know, because, you know, Gene was so against anybody breaking the fourth wall, <laughs> Peter Boyle looks right into the camera like, oh. 
<laughs> Gee, what should we throw in? So now we see her sitting on the teeter-totter. Right. And she wants him to play. She's like, come on, you got to sit down. You got to sit down. <laughs> the parents have run up, are running up the stairs to see if she's in bed. He sits down on the teeter-totter. He weighs ten times as much as she does. She goes right. flying through the air, through the window, into the bed. <laughs> and just as they open the door. Like, oh, thank God. There she is. Uh, she's fine. Uh, a scene that would be uh, ripped off a few years later uh, when uh, during the, uh, the Faber College homecoming parade, the bunny... Yes, the girl dressed up as the bunny is is propelled through the window of the boy reading the Playboy, and he just looks up and goes, "Thank you, God." Thank you, God. Yes, exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) And now we get to maybe the the greatest scene in the movie. (laughs) Maybe maybe this actor's finest work ever, and that's saying something. I think so. Yeah. Uh, So. Uh, Gene Hackman learned about the film through his frequent tennis partner, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder, yes. Uh, He requested a role because he wanted to try comedy. So he volunteered to play the blind hermit for free. It took four days of shooting for about four minutes of screen time. Yeah. Uh, That's amazing. Did they ever pay him? They must have paid him. How could they not pay Gene? At least scale, right? Don't you have to? I mean, yeah. Union get mad if you just show uh, the union would get mad for sure, but you know. Um. So anyway, so he's listening to music. I don't know how, but he's listening to music, right. and he's praying. Yes. A visitor is all I ask. A temporary companion to help me pass a few short hours in my lonely life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and he greets him at the door. He said, don't speak. Don't say a word. My joy. My prize from heaven. You, you must have been the... You know, he, he, that's when we realize he's just reaching out and touching him. You, you must have been the tallest one in your class. Mm. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't speak. Don't speak. Don't say a word. Oh, my joy. My prize from heaven. Oh, you must have been the tallest one in your class. My name is Harold, and I live here all alone. What is your name? Mm. I didn't get that. Mm. Nope. Forgive me. I didn't realize you were mute. You see how heaven plans. Me, a poor blind man, and you, you, a mute. An incredibly big mute. Your hand is frozen, my child. How does a nice bowl of soup sound to you, huh? Mm. <laughs> yes. Well, I know what it means to to be cold and hungry. Yes. And and how much it means to have a little kindness from a stranger. Are you ready for your soup? Hold out your bowl. The blind hermit with the piping hot soup, but he can't see, and he's just—he's not getting in the bowl. He's getting it all over his arms and his lap. And Peter Boyle knows there's a problem. He's trying to—he's <laughs> he's right, trying to catch he's the moving soup, along, but he can't say anything because he's a mute. <laughs> and we all know it's coming, but it's so damn funny anyway. Hold out your bowl, then. 
Oh, my friend, my friend. You don't know what your visit means to me. How long I've waited for the pleasure of another human being. Sometimes in our preoccupation with worldly matters, we tend to forget the simple pleasures that are the basis for true happiness. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh. And now, a little wine with your soup, huh? A little wine. Good, good. Wine with your soup? I know. Mm. <laughs> He's very, the, Peter Boyle, very excited about a little wine with the soup. So he hands him a like a ceramic cup. Yeah. And this yeah. time he holds it in one hand and he pours. So he makes sure he's actually getting it into the got cup. That. He fills it up and right, he fills his own is he, up. Is he just going to spill the wine all over the table? No, no, no. He's got yeah. that salt. He's and so the wine in the cup. That's the creature's good. very excited. He goes to very drink. excited. But he's like, oh, a toast. Wait. A toast. Oh. Wait. A toast. Toast to yes. long friendship. <laughs> and then he decides to <clears throat> clang their cups together and he just breaks the ceramic things with wine all over his lap. Uh, and Peter Boyle looks so frustrated <laughs> for us. How hungry you must have been. Mm. Now, now, now for a little surprise. For a special occasion, I've been saving. Cigars. Mm. Take one. No. No, no. Fire is good. Fire is good. Yes, fire. Fire is our friend. Yes, I'll show you. I'll show you. You see, you see? Yeah. Do you have your cigar? Let me see. Let me see. All right. All right. Now, now, now. I just hold it right there. Now. Don't inhale until the tip glows. So he grabs what he thinks is the cigar. Which is actually just the thumb of the creature. Now, don't inhale <laughs> until the tip glows. <laughs> and his thumb is just roaring fire off of his thumb. Yes. So he blows out his thumb and breaks down the door on his way out. Then... <laughs> <laughs> An ad-libbed line from Gene Hackman. He runs the one. door. Wait! Wait! Where are you going? I was going to make espresso. <laughs> I love that. I was going to make espresso. It almost, it almost looks like Gene is reading cue cards, too, in that scene. Yeah. He's kind of looking off to the side... Like, he's supposed to be blind, that's fine. But at one point, I, I think, gee, forget, like, at one point, he and Peter Boyle are looking at each other, <laughs> and they're nodding along at the same time. Like, the, Gene, you can't see him. Remember, Gene? You, you can't, don't nod along with him. You can't see him, right? Uh, but it's the, what, an, what an awesome scene. Makes yeah. the movie. So it says, uh, Gene, ad-lib the blind man's parting line, I was going to make espresso. The scene immediately fades to black because the crew erupted into fits of laughter. <laughs> and Hackman was unable to repeat the line without laughing with the rest of the crew. So the first take was used. 
said Hackman was uncredited when the movie was originally released in theaters. He is on the he's on the end credits now. Yes. I noticed that one. I watched it. Uh, so now it's nighttime, and we hear violin music mm-hmm. in the town, and we see that it's uh, Frederick in disguise. And he mm. uses the violin to lure the creature to him. They throw a net on him, and Inga gives him another set-a-give. A set-a-give, yeah. So they go back to the castle. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> a great scene where... Gene is telling Inga and Igor, I'm going in there. Bring me that candle. Love is the only thing that can save this poor creature, and I am going to convince him that he is loved, even at the cost of my own life. No matter what you hear in there, no matter how cruelly I beg you, no matter what you do, no matter what you hear, do not open this door. Inga says, yes, doctor. Igor says, nice Nice working working with you. you. (laughs) I'm going in there. Bring me that candle. No! No, Yes! Love is the only thing that can save this poor creature. And I am going to convince him that he is loved, even at the cost of my own life. No matter what you hear in there, no matter how cruelly I beg you, no matter how terribly I may scream, do not open this door or you will undo everything I've worked for. Do you understand? Do not open this door. Yes, Doctor. Nice working with you. Get me the hell out of here. What's the matter with you people? I was joking. Don't you know a joke when you hear one? (laughs) Jesus Christ, get me out of here. Open this goddamn door. I'll kick your rotten heads in. Mommy. he's stuck so he starts talking to the creature hello handsome you're a good looking fellow do you know that people laugh at you people hate you but why do they hate you because they are jealous look at that boyish face look at that sweet smile Do you want to talk about physical strength? Do you want to talk about sheer muscle? Do you want to talk about the Olympian ideal? You are a god! And listen to me. You are not evil. You are good! (laughs) 
This is a nice boy. This is a good boy. This is a mother's angel. And I want the world to know once and for all and without any shame that we love him. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you how to walk, how to speak, how to move, how to think. Together, you and I are going to make the greatest single contribution to science since the creation of fire. Dr. Frankenstein, are you all right? My name is Frankenstein! Yes, he's embraced himself finally. So we see a, uh, a theater in, uh, I don't know where it is, Budapest somewhere. Some city. Yes, right. And so tonight only, Dr. F. Frankenstein presents the creature. Yes. <laughs> so you see him on stage in a tuxedo. Right. And he gets introduced, and he walks out, and nobody claps. Distinguished colleagues, ladies and gentlemen, tonight it is my great privilege of introducing to you a man whose family name was once both famous and infamous. And now, may I present to you Dr. Baron Friedrich von Frankenstein. My fellow scientists and neurosurgeons, ladies and gentlemen. A few short weeks ago, coming from a background, believe me, as conservative and traditionally grounded in scientific fact as any of you, I began an experiment in, incredulous as it may sound, the reanimation of dead tissue. (laughs) What I have to offer you might possibly be the gateway to immortality. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, may I present for your intellectual and philosophical pleasure the creature, and the thing lumbers out, and everybody laughs. Right? We are not ch- we are not children. We are scientists. So he shows the creature. He goes walk heel to toe, and it does in front of him. Then backwards, and it backs up, <laughs> and then he shoves a treat in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> May I present a cultured, sophisticated man about town? And then the music starts. Hit it! If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? (laughs) Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Dressed up like a million dollar trooper 
Trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper. Come, let's mix where Rockefellers walk with sticks or umbrellas in their mitts. Everything's going fine. The audience is enjoying it. They're very excited. But then a footlight burns out and catches fire. We know that's bad. Fred runs over and stomps it out. He tries to get the music to restart. Uh, but then, you know, as people do, they get mad and start throwing vegetables at him. <laughs> Everybody shows up with vegetables to these things. Go to the science conference, honey. Bring me my carrots. Nothing. Nothing, I tell you. Five, six, seven, eight. For God's sake, come on. Are you trying to make me look like a fool? Please, I beg you. For safety's sake, don't humiliate him. you destroy my work. As your creator, I command you to come back. So the creature tries to attack the crowd. He shoves Frederick to the floor and uh, the cops run up and he's attacking the cops, but they subdue him and they carry him out. It's bedlam. It's mayhem. So then we see him chained in a dungeon with people yelling at him through the window. He's got like a collar on and like eight chains to the floor. Right. So then we see Frederick trying to figure out what he could do. And he's, he's come up with the idea that he just needs to fix the balance in his cerebral spinal fluid. Chained. Chained like a beast in a cage. Oh, Doctor, I feel so terrible. There's only one answer. If I could find a way to equalize the imbalance in his cerebral spinal fluid, why, he'd be as right as rain. But how? Inga says, Oof, I wish there was a way I could relieve some of this tension. At which point, Gene, Mr. Don't Ever Break the Fourth Wall, <laughs> looks directly at the audience. Oh, Frederick, if only there was some way I could mm. relieve this torture you are going through. Mm, 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 mm. If there was some way I could help to. Mm, mm, mm. Leaves the tension. If there was just some way I could give you a little peace. Man up in bed. So then, well, yeah, so then we see Frau Blucher. She's looking for, she's looking for Frederick. Right. And uh, they hear, she hears a voice. And the gurney lowers, is coming back down from the roof. Like where it went up for the <laughs> lightning. Right. And uh, 
under a sheet. Frederick and Inga are naked, and he's smoking a cigar, uh, smoking a cigarette. I'm sorry, Doctor. Just cable came while you were gone. I thought I told you never to interrupt me while I'm working. I'm sorry, Doctor. I thought this was an emergency. You see, your fiancé will be arriving in a second. What? Elizabeth here tonight? Yes. I will go prepare her room at once. I suggest you put on a tie. <laughs> then one of the great scenes of all time. Car pulls up. There's Madeline coming. Darling. Darling. Surprise. Surprise. Love me. Love you. Well, let's turn in. Darling! It's been a long day. I'm sure you're very tired. I'll just pay the driver. <laughs> so he goes around He goes around to the side of the car, and, and Igor walks up and goes, Darling! What? Surprise? I, uh, yes. Love me? Well... Well, let's turn in. Oh. Darling! Yes? Say nothing. Act casual. Ready? Yes. So Frederick uh, introduces them. I'd like you to meet my assistants, Inga and Igor. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, this is my financier, Elizabeth. Oh, I'm so happy to meet you at last. Uh, finance. Excuse me, darling. What is it exactly that you do do? Uh, well, I assist Dr. Frankenstein in the laboratory. We have intellectual discussions, aren't we? As a matter of fact, we were just having fun as you were driving. May I? What? Uh, what? Igor, would you give me a hand with the bags? Certainly. You take the blonde, and I'll take the one in the Taven. Oh. <laughs> Stop that. I'm talking about the luggage. Yes, master. Ladies, this way. It's going to be a long night. If you need any help with the girls, please don't hesitate. <laughs> so that was a scene they had to do several times because Marty would always end up with a mouth full of fur. And yeah. then the crew would laugh too hard and they had to do it again. <laughs> now we see the, the creature still uh, chained up and there's a cop who's mocking him. And... Uh, then he lights a match and taunts him with the match, and the creature strangles him and then breaks out of his chains. Right. And then we see a mob with torches and guns and pitchforks, and there's yes. Inspector Kemp. Riot is an ugly thing. And I think that it is just about time that we had one! Kill the monster! As heaven is my witness up. He will curse the day that he was born a Frankenstein. What? I said he will curse the day that he was born a Frankenstein. Yeah! I always love that when he when they make him repeat it, 
Then he repeats it in perfectly understandable. <laughs> You're right. Everything. <laughs> so we see Elizabeth and uh, Frederick talking. Loose. He's broken loose. Do you know what that means? Darling, you mustn't worry so. I suppose you're right. Of course I am. Now come along like a good boy. What would I do without you? Is your room just down the hall in case I get the fright during the night? <laughs> well, yes, but I, I thought perhaps tonight, under the circumstances, I might stay here with you. <laughs> would you want me like this now? So soon before our wedding, so near we can almost touch it. <gasps> Yes! Whoa! Oh, boy! <laughs> or, or, to wait just a little while longer when I can give myself to you without hesitation, when I can be totally and unashamedly and legally yours. That's a tough choice. <laughs> You're a tough guy. I suppose you're right. Of course I am. I always am. Now give me a kiss and say good night. No tongues. <laughs> good night, darling. Mm -hmm. Good night, sweetheart. Mm -hmm. I love you. Mm -hmm. You love me? Oh, oh, I love oh, you, honey. <laughs> Sweet dreams, darling. Dreams. Good night and let the bed bugs So then we see her. She's sitting in front of the mirror and she's brushing her hair and she's singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching and Glory, glory, hallelujah. Yes, glory, glory, hallelujah. <laughs> Do you know why she was singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic? Uh, why that song particularly? Yes. I do not. Because it was in the public domain, and Mel wanted a song they didn't pay for. That's a good reason. Great reason right there. Okay. <laughs> so the creature comes in the window, and she screams. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And then we see the mob and their dogs are on the hunt for him, and he's carrying her through like a swamp. Um, and they start closing in. And then we see she's laying there in a cave or something. It's hard to tell where they are, but she's laying there, and her hair has these big white streaks <laughs> all of a sudden running through it. Where am I? Ah! Who are you? What? What are you? What do you, what do you want? What do you want to do to me? Calm down. I'm not afraid of you. How much do you want to let me go? My father is very rich. You can have the entire world at your fingertips. Listen, I have to be back by 11.30. I'm expecting a very important call. Speak! Speak! Why don't you speak? What are you doing? Oh, oh you can't be serious. He's, like, coming up to her now, and she looks down at his, you know groin, and she Schnitzing sees his Schwanstucker and goes, woof! 
And then the camera kind of pans up and away, and then we hear her sing. I'm a... I... Oh, my God. Woof. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged, and, and once he took... But, but I didn't... It was never enough time. All the... Uh, oh, my... Uh, sweet mystery of life at last i found you (laughs) so the mob is still looking for them but then they cut back we see the creature uh, apparently more comfortable with fire now he's lighting two cigarettes (laughs) he gives her one and she goes penny for your thoughts Fifteen is my limit on Schnitzel group in. No, she did not say that, but <laughs> <laughs> So this I never quite understood where they're at. I assume they were on they're at the house, but we see them up there on they're on some kind of brick edifice and uh, Yeah, it's gonna be the castle, right? Yeah. Well, here's I'll get to my question here in a second. So we see Frederick playing the violin and they have like a megaphone set up and it's projecting the sound out. And then Igor has some weird horn, and he, he joins in. Uh, they see the creature sees them, but he climbs the wall. So if yeah. they're at home, why didn't they just open a door? I, I that yeah, I assume there must be. Why make him climb? Because he's playing the side the siren song to lure him back, yes. and he has to climb the wall. I don't know. So he climbs up, and he almost almost falls, but he doesn't. Were the townspeople in front of the door? Is that what it was? Or was he trying oh, that to? Could be. That could be. Get him. In, they get sneak around that way. So then we see there, uh, um, Frederick is on one gurney, kind of propped yes. up. They're almost standing up, and the creatures on the other. And there, they both have these metal dog dishes on their heads, and they're <laughs> t- tied together with tubes. Have all the preparations been made for the transference? Yes, Doctor. Are you sure you want to go through with this? It's the only thing that can save him now. You realize you're risking both your lives? Yes. How how will I know when they are done? The doctor said to allow 15 minutes. Not one second more or less. I don't know. 
What time is it? Almost time. Oh, my God, it's the villagers. Finally, they go over and they unhook them. And the creature, in intelligible English, just like you would hear on uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, <laughs> tells them, Put that man down! It's the monster! Nah, it can't be! It is! I said, put that man down! Just who do you think you are that you order these people about? I am the monster! <laughs> yeah, I see that you are the monster. <clears throat> For as long as I can remember, people have hated me. They looked at my face and my body, and they ran away in horror. In my loneliness, I decided that if I could not inspire love, which was my deepest hope, I would instead cause fear. I live because this poor, half-crazed genius has given me life. He alone held an image of me as something beautiful. And then, when it would have been easy enough to stay out of danger, he used his own body as a guinea pig to give me a calmer brain. And a, a somewhat more sophisticated way of expressing myself. Well, this is, of course, an entirely different situation. As the leader of this community, may I be the first to offer you my hand in friendship. <laughs> You are entirely welcome. And now, let us all go to my house for a little sponge cake and a little wine and... and shit! To the lumberyard! Let us all go to my house for a little sponge cake and a little wine. And, a little wine. and shit! His hand has come off. <laughs> <laughs> to the lumberyard! <laughs> no idea. No sense. But yeah. <laughs> he lives in the low. I don't know. Yeah. So now we see uh, the doctor. We see Freddie carrying Inga over the threshold. Hello, Mrs. Frankenstein. Mrs. Frankenstein. What a beautiful name. Oh, darling. Hold on to your head. I'll be right back. I'm holding on to it, darling. Just a few more seconds. Hello. 
hear Elizabeth singing in the next room, and now it's drawing Frederick. And he's going towards the door. But then we see inside the room, and the creature is in bed reading the Wall Street Journal. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, somebody pulled the date on it. It's 1974. Okay. And uh, she says, Honey. Honey, I hope you didn't find Daddy's little party too boring. I mean, he did it just for you, and he meant so well. Say you liked it. Mm-hmm. Honey, did you see? I put a special hamper in the bathroom just for your shirts, and the other one is just for socks and poo-poo undies. Here I come. I hope you didn't find Daddy's party too boring. He did it just for you. Did you see I put a hamper for your shirts in the bathroom? There's one for your socks and one for your, just for your poo-poo undies. Your poo-poo undies. <laughs> I just love like, the use of cuckoo and poo-poo undies and yummy. Right. So we finally see her come out into the room. She's got the full Bride of Frankenstein beehive. Yeah, she's, going. Yeah. she's dancing. She's kicking up her slippers. And then we go to the other room, and we Fred is going, mm, and he's heading for Inga, who says, mm, The feeling is mortal. You know, it's a puzzlement. There's something I've always wanted to ask you about that operation. You know, in the transference part, the monster got part of your wonderful brain. But what did you ever get from him? The feeling is mucho. <laughs> mucho. But she says, here's a puzzlement. One thing I've always wanted to ask you. In the transference, the monster got part of your wonderful brain. What did you ever get from him? <laughs> and then another fourth wall breaking. <laughs> and then we have final sweet mystery of life at last I found. <laughs> so somehow they transferred uh, brains and penises. Yeah, there you go. Well, which was actually the original brains name, and original name of the movie, Mel Brooks' <laughs> brain, Brains and Penises. Brains and penises, but this, the censors did not like that in 1974. <sighs> <laughs> All right, so is there a hence the name of the movie in the movie? There, uh, there is not. Nope, there is not. There is not. Yeah, no one ever says Young Frankenstein. Right. In the movie. Okay, so here's an update. <laughs> the things you find out when you're editing. Uh, actually, we were wrong. Uh, it is said in the movie. 
Where had better confirmed effect? That young Frankenstein is indeed following in his grandfather's footsteps. Uh, Gene Wilder has stated that it was the uh, had stated that it is the uh, favorite of all the movies he made. Of course, he co-wrote Absolutely. it. He probably helped. Yeah, right. It was his passion project. Cloris Leachman improvised the dialogue when Frau Blucher <laughs> offered von Milk and Ovaltine yeah. to Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> uh, when uh, when Frederick leans in to kiss Elizabeth goodnight in her bedroom, no tongues was ad-libbed by Mad- Madeline Kahn. Uh, this I, I don't know if this is true or not, but the cast, especially Mel, had so much fun that they were upset when principal photography was almost completed that Mel added scenes so they could continue shooting. I could totally buy that. Okay. I could totally buy that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, when they started to film Putting on the Ritz, no one was sure what the creature would say. The first time out of the gate, Peter Boyle came up with the strangled version of Putting on the Ritz. Yeah. <laughs> Now this was now this is the only time that they fought. Gene and Mel fought about putting on the Ritz. Yeah, and it was uh, Gene wanted it in, and Mel didn't. Right, and Gene was evidently incensed, out of his mind with fury that Mel would not put this in, and they are and they argued, and finally Mel said, "Okay, we'll do it," and Gene is like, "Why?" And he's like, because I wasn't sure about it, and if you didn't fight for it, I knew it would be wrong. But you did fight for it, and you were right. Seems like an odd thing to, yeah, fight about. You would also think if it was the, you would think if anything, wouldn't yeah. you? That it'd be like Mel would be like, yes. no, you know, we got to put this in. Yeah. Gene, Mel, no, 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 Mel will shoot a musical number with drop a hat for anything. Yeah, right. He didn't want to do it. Um. Mel has said he considers this the best movie he ever directed, but only the third funniest. Do you know what two movies Mel thinks are funnier? Blazing Saddles. Yep. For sure. Uh, hmm. The Producers? Yep. Okay. So this he only considers this the third funniest Gene Wilder movie. Yeah. Right. But, he, but the three funniest movies he thinks he ever did were the three of the genes in. See, I would, I would go, I would go Blazing Saddles and, and then Young Frankenstein yeah. over producers. Uh, the idea of Frederick's dart hitting a cat was ad libbed on set when Gene threw his dart off camera. Mel screamed like a cat. Probably just to show everybody that he could do that because it's a pretty good cat. And they're like, oh, well, let's use that. Malin Khan is the one who suggested Ah, Sweet Mystery of Life. Um, because uh, originally in the script, she was supposed to sing Cheek to Cheek, which starts heaven, I'm in heaven, because she um, felt it had to be a song that started with an ah or an oh, because it's kind of screaming when you start. So he's probably right. right. Oh, I was wrong. Walk This Way uh, was ad-libbed by Marty Feldman, but the two movies that it's in are History of the World Part 1 and Robin Hood, not, not Spaceballs. Okay. Yeah, Mel uh, Columbia didn't want to shoot it in black and white, and so he took it to 20th Century Fox, where Alan Ladd Jr. said he had no problem with the idea. Um, the problem was that, uh, no, producer Michael Gruskoff says the move to Fox was because Columbia was unwilling to increase the budget from $1.75 million to $2.8 million. Okay. He still had to shoot it in black and white. You can't do a Frankenstein knockoff in color. Right, of course. Yeah, Mel thought the walk this way gag was too corny and wanted it cut. 
Mel thought it was too corny. Man. <laughs> um, Crazy. But uh, audience reaction at a screening uh, made him keep it in. Okay. That's how it works. Well, here's the one about the studio trying to trick him uh, to shoot it in color. He said, okay, we'll make it in black and white, but on color stock, so that we can show it in Peru, which just got color. And he said, no, 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 you'll screw me. You'll say this, and then in order to save the company money, you'll risk a lawsuit, and you'll print everything in color. It's got to be on black and white. Yep. He was right. I'm sure. Uh, Melkath, Kenneth Kenneth Mars, after Kenneth signed off on wearing a monocle over an eye patch. (laughs) Yeah, in the commentary for Spaceballs, Mel says that when Gene Wilder came on uh, to Blazing Saddles, he um, his only demand was that Mel do his movie idea next, which was Young Frankenstein. Uh, Mel asked the costume designer to let Madeline Kahn sh- show as much cleavage as they could get away with. Uh, it turns out that she actually was able to show less cleavage than um, the than the original uh, than they could show in the original 1931 movie. Because at that time, they had not yet enforced the Motion Picture Production Code. Oh, really? Crazy. Uh, Peter Boyle met his wife, Lorraine Alterman Boyle, uh, when she visited the set set to write an article about the filming for Rolling Stone. Nice. Little love story. Real-life love story. Uh, There was a real-life Hans Delbruck. He was a 19th, oh yeah yeah how did they, yeah what was he was it? a nineteenth-century German military historian and professor at the University of Berlin. He was notable for going beyond technical problems and linking warfare to politics and economics. His son Max was a twentieth-century biochemist and Nobel laureate. Hmm. Um, now I'm gonna uh, you know Mel's son is named Max. Yeah. I wonder if that's a connection there. Could be. So, uh, this other, maybe this is why <laughs> Cloris wouldn't carry candles that were lit. Uh, the candles the actors are holding while exploring the castle at night were made of aluminum pipe with 100-watt projection bulbs concealed inside. A wire ran up each actor's sleeve and down the pat leg. So, in addition to remembering their lines, they had to remember to keep the wires and bulb out of view. <laughs> Cloris <laughs> said, screw this. Just give me, a, give me ones that aren't lit. <laughs> Uh, the journal entry Frederick reads is two slightly paraphrased extracts from the novel Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus by Mary Shelley. Mm-hmm. Gene Wilder, Peter Boyle, and Marty Feldman appeared in this film by virtue of the fact that they their mutual agent had a deal with the studio. Guess that always helps. Oh, I like this story. One afternoon while shooting, Anne Bancroft visited the set and told Terry Garr that she and Mel had seen the conversation the night before, which features Garr and Gene Hackman. Yeah. Gar replied, oh yeah, that turned out to be a pretty good movie. Bancroft responded, honey, this is a movie. The conversation is a film. <laughs> okay, kind of like that. The conversation is a great film. Uh, let's see. Uh, the blind man scene includes parts where the monster... Uh, is having hot soup poured on him and getting his thumb lit on fire. To keep himself protected, Peter Boyle had a hot pad on his lap, and he held a (laughs) fake thumb with alcohol on it to keep the fire burning. Uh, Cloris Leachman was nominated for Best Lead Actress, and Madeline Kahn was nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role. However, Kahn has more screen time than Leachman. 
Yes, she does. Yeah, interesting. I, I I wouldn't think Cloris should have qualified for. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. Cloris would have been do right in the middle of her Mary Tyler Moore run too. I would believe. I would think so. Clement von Frankenstein has an uncredited role as a villager. Was a descendant of the noble house of Frankenstein, the namesake for the titular character in Mary Shelley's original novel. So there's an oh, actual like Frankenstein that. in the movie. Gotta like that. Uh, Madeline Kahn was a gifted singer and studied opera. In this movie, she sings completely on key. However, in Blazing Saddles, as Lily von Stupp, she purposely sings off-key, which is quite difficult for an experienced singer. Schwanstucker literally <laughs> translates as tall piece, although it isn't really a true German phrase. Okay. Okay. On the heels of Schnitz and Grubin from Blazing Saddles, so... Uh, now we're getting to the real uh, twin brothers and illustrators Tim Hildebrandt and Greg Hildebrandt decided they wanted a career painting movie posters and created a poster for young Frankenstein overnight after visiting the Manhattan office for 20th Century Fox in 1973 although this poster didn't get used it led them to being commissioned to create a poster for another Fox movie in 1977 do you know what movie that was Star Wars Star Wars. They oh got to my. do the poster for Star Wars. That's pretty cool. Four years later. Gotta like that. Um, there is a deleted scene uh, which explains um, the origin of Inspector Kemp's wooden arm. Okay. But they don't say what it is. Huh. Is it on the DVD, I wonder? Cloris Leachman on Fresh Air on NPR claimed that Mel told her the name of her character, Frau Blucher, <laughs> resembles the word for glue in German, hence the reason the horse whinnies. Um, the closest word for glue in German dialect is Kleber. Frau means Mrs. and Blucher <laughs> is a very common name, especially, essentially equivalent to Jones. Um, According to supplementary information on the DVD, the horse's terror at her name is meant to show that she is a terrible and frightening person. And according to Gene Wilder, Lord only knows what she does to them when no one is around. <laughs> on the other hand, they react to the name, not her presence, weakening this idea. Right. Um, one idea has been proposed that the name reminds them of an incident in the career of Prussian Field Marshal Gebhardt von Blücher where his horse died under him in the War of 1815, or maybe it's just a silly gag with no meaning at all, which I would <laughs> probably guess. Um, who would Trey Wilson play in Young Frankenstein? <laughs> Gotta go with the inspector. Yeah, because I, I don't think he'd have made a very good Igor. No. Chewing everybody out probably wouldn't have worked. I think the inspector would be perfect for him. So who would you have played in Young Frankenstein? I'm going to go with the blind man. <laughs> that is how he is credited, by the way. The, the blind man, not the hermit. or the blind There's man. some thought that perhaps he's a priest, but blind man. I guess I thought he was a priest only because he's, you see him with the rosary beads, but it's very he's clear. The rosary beads, yeah. Right. He's, he's praying for a visitor. He's not. Right, right. And you? Oh, who would I play? I would be... Uh... I'd be the Shushan kid. There you go. That's 
Track 39. Yep. Perfect. All right, so I think that'll do it for uh, uh, Young Frankenstein. Yeah, thanks, Annie. That was a fun one. So we're... uh, one thing we do know is that we are going to do Field of Dreams before the Cubs and Reds ruin the Field of Dreams game forever <laughs> in August. Uh, but stay tuned. There could be a movie um, before then. A surprise movie. Yes. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. All right, Andy. Have a good one. <laughs>